The sermon text for this morning is found in the book of Romans, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Oh, Father, as we undertake now to unfold these words in the context of this glorious and perhaps greatest of all books in the Bible, the book of Romans, we are desperately in need of your assistance. Without you, we can do nothing, Jesus said. And so we ask for you to come for listener and for preacher and give us your help. And I pray for any in the room who are without saving faith in Jesus Christ or any who is walking in a path of destruction that you would save and rescue. Would you come, Holy Spirit, now and brood savingly, sanctifyingly over this people as we worship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we move through section by section in the Gospel of God, in the book of Romans, I want you to have in your mind, I want you to get very clear, I want you to keep in your mind week after week that it's all about the gospel. And the gospel means good news. And the good news is designed to lift your burdens and give you joy and make you strong. I see it. In the word blessed there, you see the threefold use, blessing in verse 6, blessed in verse 7, blessed in verse 8. That word blessed, makarios in Greek, means a condition where you are deeply secure and profoundly content and happy in God. That's what the gospel is after. It's what God wants to do in you today. And the reason I put it that way is because blessed does not mean that things will go easy for you. You know how we know that? Because the word occurs lots of times in the New Testament and the most dense usage is the Beatitudes, and the last Beatitude says, Blessed are you when men insult you, and persecute you, and revile you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice in that day and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. So we know, blessed are you does not mean untroubled are you. It doesn't mean healthy are you. It doesn't mean admired are you. It doesn't mean prosperous 
are you. It means between you and God, all is well. God is after your profound joy, your deep contentment in the gospel. Don't lose sight of all this talk about justification, this rigorous effort to get into the mind of the Apostle Paul and and unfold the doctrine of justification by faith alone. Don't lose the forest for the trees here because this book is all about gospel and gospel means good news and good news is designed to lift burdens and give joy and make you strong. Now I want you to see that Let's use a little review here. Would you turn back to chapter 1 with me? The banner flying over all the chapters of the book of Romans is verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1. If you want a, a theme verse or two or a thesis statement of this great book of gospel preaching, it's Romans 1, 16 and 17. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Good news. Gospel means good news. I'm not ashamed of the good news. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is the good news that there is salvation for those who believe, and then chapters 1 to 3 exist to explain to us what we need salvation from. The guilt of our sin and the wrath of a holy God. So that's the structure. You need to be saved. From sin, which corrupts your own heart, makes you guilty before God, and brings you under justice and wrath. And that's the biggest problem any human being in the world has, including the loss of children, cancer, loss of job, marriage difficulties, or anything else. The biggest problem is the wrath of God and our own sin. And then the question is, Well, how can sinners like us who've trampled the glory of God in the dirt by our disobedience and indifference get saved? And verse 17 explains the foundation. Because in it, that is, in this gospel, this good news, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. The gospel saves because it's the good news that God's righteousness is revealed to be possessed by faith. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean? How does that work? Well, that's where we are. Chapter 4, the last part of chapter 3, all of chapter 4, all of chapter 5 are an explanation of verse 17 of chapter 1. Two and a half chapters just to unpack the words. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith 
to faith. What does that mean? Why is that the foundation of good news that brings believers to be saved from the wrath of God and the guilt of sin? How does that work? And Paul believes it is so important to understand how that works that he builds chapter after chapter just to explain verse 17 of chapter 1. Romans 4, 7 and 8 talk about a blessing. A blessing. And I I move by this word blessing in this sermon because... uh, I saw the connection between blessedness, happiness, contentment, solid joy, unshakable wellness in relation to gospel. Good news that's designed for your burden bearing and your joy and your strength. So how does this work? Well... We need a righteousness to be acceptable to God, right? God's righteous and holy and perfect, and I'm a sinner and I need righteousness to be acceptable to God. But what do I have? I don't have righteousness. I have sin. So God has what I need and don't deserve righteousness, and I have what He hates and won't truck sin. So what's the hope? How could I ever be accepted with God? How could I be loved by God? How could I ever have an eternity of happiness in the presence of God if He has what I need and deserve and can't have and I have what He hates and rejects sin and won't take? What's the answer? The answer is Jesus Christ, the Son of God who died in our place. God lays my sins on Christ and punishes them in Him. God lays His righteousness in Christ on me and credits it to my account. Our sin on Christ, His righteousness on us. The great exchange And the ground of the gospel, the good news that's designed to lift your burdens and give you joy and make you strong. Now, I want to linger on this for just a minute and stress something. Perhaps we haven't stressed enough. Do you see here that Christ is everything? You can't love Christ too much. You can't. Think about Christ too much. You can't thank Christ too much. Everything hangs on Christ. Everything hangs on Christ. Now I want you to see this. And if you have a little place in your Bible, and and sometimes you take your Bible to work or have it at home, and you would like to have ready to hand Three or four texts that would just get this wonderful point across that there's this exchange. Our sin on Christ, His righteousness on us. And you could just point somebody you're trying to explain the gospel to, to these glorious texts. I want to give you four of them right now. Alright? Now I'm doing this just to highlight the point that justification by faith alone apart from works is all owing to Christ. And without Him, there is no hope for us at all. 
So here's number one. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Write it down. God made him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God's righteousness comes in Christ. Philippians 3.9 I count everything as rubbish that I may be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. So it comes from God in Christ to us by faith. Philippians 3, 9. 1 Corinthians 1.30 It is from God that you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness. He became our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1.30 And finally, Romans 8.1 Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the common thing to all four of those texts is in Him, in Him, in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Everything that we're preaching is in Christ Jesus. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You can't know Him too well. You can't love Him too much. You can't thank Him too often. You can't think about Him too deeply. Christ is all. Christ is the center. And I just want His name to be lifted up this morning because if you could see Him, if you could see what He suffered, that song by Mark L. Trogi. Should he who created us be pierced for us, you would love him. So what's the answer to why the gospel is so powerful unto salvation? The answer is that our sins in the gospel are laid on Christ and his righteousness is laid on on us, The great exchange or the great imputation that goes both ways. The great imputation of our sin to Christ and the great imputation of God's righteousness to us. And it's called justification. Now, here we are in chapter 4. And what Paul is exulting in in chapter 4 of Romans is that this justification is not based on works, but based on faith. It is not that God looks down and says, all right, I'm going to tally up your works. Put the good over here, put the bad over here. We'll subtract the bad from the good. And if there's enough left... I will reckon that as righteousness and you will be accepted and forgiven and loved. If that's the gospel, there is no gospel. 
That's not the gospel. And Paul is exulting here. He just can't get over it that the gospel is the good news that this exchange, my sins unto Christ, his righteousness unto me, so that my burdens are lifted, my joy is secured, and my strength is given forever in his presence, so that that will come to pass not by works, but by faith alone. Now, the point of last week's sermon, you remember, as we compared James 2 with Romans 4, was this. Justification, getting right with God, is by faith alone apart from works. But, even though it is faith alone that gets us right with God, the faith that gets us right with God does not remain alone. It is not dead, it is not demon, it is not useless, it is alive and it bears fruit. And the fruit of obedience comes from the faith that justifies, but the fruit of obedience does not justify. The gospel is the glorious news that we are justified, we get right with God by depending on grace Alone in Christ. And then that faith works itself out through love. Galatians 5, 6. So here we are at Romans 4. We're not in James 2. We're in Romans 4. And what we find is Paul exulting over justification by faith alone. And our text is verses 6 through 8, which begins with these words. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Now notice that last phrase, because that's where he's underlining, because he's trying to establish that in this chapter. It is apart from works that God credits righteousness. He does not look to see if you have earned This crediting, he looks to see if you are depending on him. It is apart from works. Now notice the words just as at the beginning of that verse 6. Just as, which refers back to verse 5 and connects verse 5 to verses 7 and 8. Just as, David also speaks... So what I want you to see is verse 5 again. I love verse 5. I'll come back to verse 5 over and over. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And you remember two weeks ago I said there are three arguments in that verse for why you can see that justification is by faith alone. Number one... To the one who does not work. Not work. Not work. And that rules out working as part of our obtaining justification. Two, second phrase. But who trusts the one who justifies the ungodly. 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 You do not become godly before you get justified. You get justified and by the power of the Holy Spirit working through the faith that justified 
become progressively godly. If you try this morning, some of you are here not ever having heard this gospel before. And you're thinking, I've got to get my life fixed first so that he'll accept me. You'll never get it fixed. Ever. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is to recognize your desperately hopeless condition as one who can never get yourself fixed and then depend wholly on another and not yourself. Jesus Christ. For a righteousness that will be through that dependence imputed to you while you are still godless. That's awesome. That's awesome. And that's the second reason I say it is without works. And here's the third one, the last phrase in verse 5. Faith, his faith is credited as righteousness. Not faith plus works, not works instead of faith, but faith is credited as righteousness. Oh, how many saints through the history of the church have hit upon this. Read some of those stories. Read Martin Luther's story. Read John Bunyan's story. You want to see men stand on their heads and dance? Read the stories of men who have discovered the glory of this gospel, who have felt guilty before God all their lives and been desperate and had no way, no way they could ever get right. And suddenly, by the power of the Holy Spirit, it breaks in on them and the windows of heaven open and they walk into paradise because they discover it's by faith in the righteousness of another. Another, another, so that my righteousness never goes up, it never goes down, it's never small, it's always infinite because it's not mine, it's Christ's. And there is a security, brothers and sisters. There's the gospel that lifts burdens and makes joyful and makes you strong. This is gospel. This is the gospel of Romans 1. 16, and Paul is exulting in the fact that it is not by works, but by faith alone. Now, something surprising happens in these verses. Verses 6 to 8 do something strange. Oh, it caused me great difficulty in these last days. And I'm still not sure I have it all figured out. Let me point it out to you, because there's a beauty in it. Even only the part I can understand. Up till now, Paul has been defining justification positively as the crediting of God's righteousness in Christ to me by faith alone. Now, in verses 7 and 8, it looks as though he describes justification not in terms of the crediting of God's righteousness to me, but the not crediting of my sins to me. Now you may say, well, you got to have both, don't you? Or why is this strange? 
Here's the reason it's strange. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 quotes the blessing or says that David is going to say the blessing of God's crediting righteousness to us. Read it. David also speaks of the blessing on whom, on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes Psalm 32 and Psalm 32 doesn't say that. You see the problem? David speaks a blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. But what does the psalm say? It says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not credit. That's the same word there. That last phrase of verse 8, will not take into account, is the same word we've had in verse 3, verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. Credit, reckon, impute. So boil it down. Boil it down to see the surprising connection. Verse 6. David speaks a blessing or a blessing on a man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And here it is, verse 8, blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not credit. That may not bother you, but it's cost me four hours at least. And I still don't have it figured out. Why, Paul? Why? Why did you choose the first two verses of Psalm 32 to express the blessed condition of God's reckoning His righteousness to us when what the verses say is He doesn't reckon our sin to us? And um, I think the best I can do is to say a couple of things that it necessarily implies about justification. It necessarily implies that justification is not the imputation of God's righteousness alone, but also includes the non-imputation of our sins, the forgiveness of our sins. Or to say it another way, it implies that the forgiveness of our sins is not the whole of justification. Many scholars take this verse to argue all justification means is the forgiveness of sins. The not reckoning to us of our iniquities. And I'm arguing that the least the connection means is this. Justification is both the removal of, the covering over, and the not imputing to us our sins, and not leaving us in a kind of neutral limbo, no sins and no righteousness, but rather, also positively, it is the imputation of the righteousness of God in Christ to us through faith alone. The least the connection means in verses 6 to 8 is... That. Now, I want to close 
with going back to where I began. I said that this word blessed, blessing verse 6, blessed verse 7, blessed verse 8, means not untroubled, not healthy, not prosperous. It means that between you and God all is well. It means a deep contentment. It means a profound, unshakable happiness. In other words, it's all about the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is good news, and good news is designed this morning to lift your burdens and give you joy and make you strong. And now I see it expressed in these words, blessed, blessed, blessing in verses 6 to 8. And I want to say over you, blessed are you. When God credits his righteousness to you. Blessed are you when your sins are credited to Christ on the cross. So that the punishment owing to you comes on him. Blessed are you when this magnificent exchange comes into your life. Your sins on Christ His righteousness on you. And perhaps even most blessed of all, when you realize that this exchange is apart from works and by faith alone. All you can do to get this is depend on Christ for it. When it says God reckons our faith as righteousness, as it does in verse 3. It means that the dependence on Christ alone is treated by God as having all that Christ is completely. When you this morning, if you will right now, even as I'm preaching and as we close, if you will depend on Christ alone for your standing with God, for your righteousness, and for everything you need in life, God will view you as having all of Christ's righteousness on which you depend. Well, this is very good news, and the reason I have stressed over and over again in this message that the gospel is designed to bear your burdens and give you joy and make you strong is because in my own devotions this week, I read in Nehemiah 8.10, as many of you did, this sentence, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want you to be strong. I mean, don't we live in a world that is so reeling out of control with uncertainties that you tremble when you read the paper or watch the news? I don't know, maybe you're callous to it or used to it. But I tell you, when I look at the news and see the never-ending sagas of atrocities, the Jewish Center shooting in L.A., the violence in Belfast, the mosque in Kenya, the hostilities in Dagestan, school-sponsored paganism on our college campuses, bringing forth a child to live six days, lupus, 
leukemia, cancer, financial woes, untold heartaches in this room that nobody ever hears about. How are you going to stand? How are you going to stand in the last day? And I'll tell you how. The gospel, the gospel is the good news that my sins are not mine to bear anymore. And a righteousness surpassing anything I could have ever dreamed of producing has been now imputed to me. It does not rise or fall. It is solid. And I receive it not by any performance of virtue, but by a childlike total dependence on it for everything I am and everything I have. And then, whatever the phone calls come, whatever the news the messenger brings, whatever the television portrays, whatever happens to your children, whatever happens to your mate, whatever happens to your body, you will stand. And so I just say, come to Christ. You, you who are without Christ in this room, Leave the foolish distractions and come to Christ. Come to Christ. Father, I pray earnestly now that you will make Christ the rock and his righteousness the foundation of the life of every person in this room through faith. Give that faith right now, Father. Work that faith. Leave none without trust, I ask in Jesus' name. I'll be here at the front, and elders and prayer team members will be here. Would you stand, and I'll pronounce the benediction over you. And now, by faith, may God grant you the blessing of having your sins forgiven and your iniquities covered, and all your sin not credited to you, and all of Christ's righteousness credited to you. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.